0: This is Extraordinary, a podcast brought to you by Independence Australia, where we have an honest chat and a good laugh about what it's like to live with a disability. You'll hear about the unique challenges we encounter, the funny situations we face, and learn what it's like to be in our shoes. I'm your host, Oliver Hunter. I'm a stand-up comedian who actually can't stand up, and I've been cracking jokes about living with a disability for years. Today we're chatting with Hannah Deviney. Hannah is a passionate writer, speaker and advocate. If you know about Missing Perspectives, you might know her as the editor-in-chief. In today's episode, we'll hear more about Hannah's personal story, what it means to be an advocate and her opinion on women's representation in the media. Let's catch up. Thanks for coming on Hannah, it's great to have you. I'm sure everyone will be keen to hear your story. My first question to every guest has been, what would you like people to know about you?
1: That's a big question for people like you and I, I guess, because often we don't get to define what people know about us. For me, most of the time, people will have an opinion based on the fact that they can see that I'm in a wheelchair. I have cerebral palsy. Basically, for anyone who doesn't know, cerebral palsy is a physical disability, that impacts my fine and gross motor skills. In basic non-medical English, that means it affects everything from my ability to like stand, walk, balance, use a knife and fork properly, play a musical instrument, all that kind of big stuff, but also the kind of little fiddly stuff as well. Aside from being a disabled person, I am a writer. I run a media company called Missing Perspectives, which is basically about addressing the marginalization of women and girls worldwide, I am working on a book, there's a lot of things going on including some things that I really can't wait to talk about but I'm not allowed
0: to just yet. We might get some little sneaky exclusives a bit later on, you never know, we'll see how we go folks. Really exciting to hear so much is happening for you Hannah. I guess I'll touch on something just then about we don't get a chance to define ourselves usually. I guess have you felt throughout your life that you have been defined by your disability and your CP, and like how has that affected you throughout your time?
1: Because my disability is so visible because of the wheelchair, you can see the moment when people sort of have to literally recalibrate what they're thinking. Like when I enter a situation or when people meet me for the first time, but they've heard about me, or I was being introduced to like a friend's parents or something like that, you can see like the moment of like, oh, and then they just have to reevaluate. As a kid, I used to say, really proudly that I wasn't defined by my disability and now that I'm older I kind of understand how ridiculous that was because the truth is I am defined by my disability in that it shapes all the choices I make and the things I value and the things I absolutely don't have time for and the types of friends I want in my life and the types of people I want to pretend I can't even see when I'm walking down the street. So I think It defines me, but it's not all of me, is now what I say these days.
0: For both of us, we seem to have similar experiences where I think there is a key moment or moments throughout our lives or people with disabilities life, where at some stage, you definitely have to embrace your disability and everything that comes with that. And hopefully you can feel empowered. And we hear the term disability proud. I've heard that quite a bit. It's a I don't know what your thoughts are on that as a term or as language, but I understand and I can appreciate where it's come from, but I think sometimes people think proud means your life with a disability is amazing or great and I have many great things, but life with disability can be pretty hard. I guess what are your thoughts on that?
1: I would agree. July is actually celebrated as Disability Pride Month. There are wonderful parts of my life that have come about because of my disability and everything I do These days, everything I do professionally, the people I meet, that's all because I happen to be disabled and like different circumstances because of that have led to different things. But like you, I also go, well, it's not all roses and sunshine. Some of it is really difficult and complicated and hard and frustrating. And you mentioned before that there comes a point where we all have to embrace our disability. And for me, that was motivated as much by just being exhausted as anything else.
0: Okay, great. And in exhausted in, in what way? In what aspects?
1: Like exhausted in the trying to pretend I wasn't, which sounds stupid, because obviously, like, in a physical sense, there's absolutely no way I can't be disabled. I need help to get out of bed. I need help to get dressed. I do all of that stuff. But in terms of how I presented to my peers and the things that I told them about, or the things that I kept to myself, or the things I Pushed through ignoring what my body and my brain were telling me to do because I had such a fear of like missing out or being perceived as any more different than what I already was. Now I'm finally at the point where it's like, okay, I'm exhausted from trying to pretend that this isn't a thing. I'm exhausted from being upset that this is a thing. Because I think something we don't talk about a lot in the disabled community because it's not really attractive and it kind of be neatly packaged is like the different bouts of anger and frustration that you go through when you have a disability like ours where when you're a kid your concept of forever is maybe like a week but as you get older you realize that forever literally means like your whole life and suddenly you have to perceive what that looks like and I don't know about you but for me I never really saw disabled adults growing up except for in like therapy settings so I didn't really know unlike my friends and peers, it wasn't blank pages that are full of excitement and possibility. It was blank pages that piece it off into the distance because I didn't really know what, if anything, went there.
0: Yeah. And I think the blank pages also in the top corners in the fine print had, and sometimes not so fine print, had Cyril Palsy at the front and center and build your life around that. I couldn't agree more. When you're a kid, that doesn't seem to hit hard other than like when i was a kid and i'm going in and out of the hospital for different therapies and surgeries that was just anger and frustration and for me back then i don't know if you can relate to this so i'm sure you can when you're a kid having all the surgeries and all the therapies the result of, a lot of that is physical pain yeah so you connect all that anger with physical pain then it's not until later that you realize oh that's affected me in other ways and I have to deal with that now as an adult. All those sorts of things. So my next question: In you met, and well, you've talked about how CP affects you, and and the different fine motor skills that uh, issues you have. And I remember when I was young, I don't know for a long time when I was younger, I couldn't use cutlery either. Or yeah, one day I just picked up a knife and fork, and I could do it. I don't know. I didn't do any therapy on it. Wow, it's a miracle, Oliver. Could do it one day. Yeah, I'll tell you the one thing I did work on. I might have brought this up in other episodes before. So sorry if you're hearing this for a second time. But the one thing I really worked on from an occupational therapist point of view that had no input from an actual therapist was learning to flip the bird.
1: Yeah, see, I can't do that. And my life would be so much better if I could.
0: Yeah, see, I spent so many hours um, teaching my hands. And irony of the whole thing is I'm left-handed dominant. Me too. And I can't do it on my left hand, but I can do it on my right hand. Uh, Mm. And I can tell you what, I can barely do anything else with my right hand, but I can (laughs) do that. Maybe I'll have to try that. Yeah, yeah. Just go offhand with the uh, bird there, Hannah, and you'll see see what happens. How was growing up, going to school, like being at school and being around friends at sort of that teenage years? And how was all that for you?
1: School was not a great place. (laughs) First of all, it started like when you're younger, obviously a lot of the play that you do as a kid is super physical. Like people are running around playing tag or they're having parties at like the fun house or like other sort of jungle gym type things. And it's just like has made me a much better writer and a much better empathizer and understander of people because while they were doing that, I was literally just absorbing everything like a sponge watching and listening and paying attention and fading into the background enough in adult conversations that they wouldn't necessarily edit what they were saying around me. And then I was going to say for high school, it got to a point where it was like, okay, well, now we're talking about dating or suddenly people are driving a car or the amount of times I would hear the phrase throughout my childhood, we wanted to invite you to our party, but stairs or like, They'd always say, oh, my parents said it was too hard or whatever. So there was a lot of time where I spent by myself hoping that there would be people out there eventually who would see me for me. And I'm really lucky that now I seem to have found, but it's taken a bloody long time.
0: Yeah. Some of that stuff rings home for me as well. I had the classic non-party invite experience at at school where where you get the, oh, I would have invited you, mate, but there's stairs in my house. And then there was one time where I just I was like, well, I'm coming to your party, and we're gonna figure it out. And then I rocked up at this guy's house, and I said, where, what we worried about? And he's like, oh, you know, everyone's in the house, and there's like there's steps there. And I was like, well, it's two steps, and there's 25 people here. I feel like one or two of them will be able to help me up the step in my chair. And sure enough, it was easy. And I think that one of those experiences for me is like one it helps someone or a group of people they might have realized that oh he can do come to parties and stuff. But also probably helped me for this particular reason that I said, oh, I can do it too. Sort of helped me go to uni and I lived away from home on the uni residence. I'm jealous. That would have been cool. It was a great experience because it helped me realize that I also I have had moments similar to you in terms of my instinct sometimes is to sit back and, you know, on my own or you know, not do things or goes, oh, it's too hard. Or I guess some sort of internalized ableism on some level.
1: It's a nasty little sucker, isn't it? Internalized ableism.
0: Yeah. It's been brought up on this podcast before as well. So I'd be interested on your thoughts of that as well. But for me, it's like, I have to fight through that and go, no, no, get up and go to the thing or do this or they want to be friends with you, be friends with them.
1: Yeah. Stop waiting for the other shoe to drop or for them to decide that they don't want to be friends with you or whatever. Just like enjoy it for what it is.
0: Yeah, and I think for me that, then there's also the flip side of that, similar to what you've said already about listening to your body and your brain and with CP, we can get fatigued quite easily and a lot of energy goes into living more energy than say someone who's able-bodied. So there's moments too where you have to go, it's okay to stay home every day like tonight or not do anything
1: or well, to have a nap if you need to i am a big believer in the nap
0: <laughs> yes big believer in the lunchtime nap absolutely i'm all for it
1: and i guess like for me no one ever mentioned fatigue being a thing that like would happen as i got older like For me, fatigue was only ever presented as like, if you do your exercises or during surgery rehab, you're going to have fatigue. But no one ever said, yeah, when you get older, your body will reach a point where you like get tired just doing basic stuff. So when it started happening to me, I was like, what is this? What's going on? Nobody explained that this was part of cerebral palsy. Like, is something else wrong? What's happening now?
0: Yeah. Have I got another thing I have to think about or worry about? Yeah. And then the anxiety of that makes you fatigued, which is already the whole thing. The next question I have for you is you've already touched on a lot of the work that you've been doing and continue to do the advocacy work. And, you know, I've done, I do some similar work with stand up and another consulting work I've done, which is a lot of fun. My point's always been that not everyone wants to or has the capacity to do that with a disability. So for you, when did you realize and what was the sort of catalyst, let's say, for you to go, I want to go down this path?
1: That's a really great question, and I just want to echo what you said and basically reiterate for anyone who might be worried that they're not being a good disabled person by not being an advocate. Advocacy is a choice, and it is not for everybody, and if all you can do is take care of yourself, then that's enough. I was one of those people who for a long time didn't think I would have the energy to advocate for other people, and then I got older and it sort of developed this Skill with writing and like a good skill with like communicating and being able to like get my message across. And I was kind of thinking about the start of my life, if you guess, because I was born three months early. I was tiny, and the original diagnosis, like worst case scenario that they gave my parents, was that I would never walk, talk, or feed myself. There's always been this little voice in the back of my mind that has literally thought of the fact of me physically having a voice as something of a privilege because it wasn't necessarily supposed to go that way and for whatever reason it did and it has so it kind of hit me that like well if I'm lucky enough to have a voice when I know so many people who are nonverbal and still incredibly smart but will always be overlooked because of the fact that they're non-verbal then maybe I have a reason to like do this stuff and throw myself into it and see what happens.
0: And I guess create your own path and create your own opportunity when it comes to employment.
1: Like for me growing up, and I'm sure it was the same for you, the only two sort of areas that I ever saw disabled people in were either Paralympic glory or the pity kind of tragedy story, which was like someone's had a drink driving accident and ended up in a wheelchair. Those were sort of the two narratives about disability that I saw and neither of those suit me I guess because this might come as a surprise to a lot of people but not every disabled person wants to or has the ability to be a Paralympian because Paralympians are elite athletes if I rocked up to the tennis court to hit a ball there'd be no way I'd be winning the golden slam like Dylan Alcott like he's doing that because he's an elite athlete
0: yeah and I often say to people that You touched on it already there, but the gap is still there. So we have the Paralympians at the top, like they're considered the top of the tree in terms of the publicity and the commercial sort of aspects of disability. And they get, they're finally getting their dues as sports people and and athletes. They're right up there with the Olympians and other professional athletes for sure in terms of the profile, the income is definitely not there, but it's on an uptick, like I still get a response when I tell some people. Oh, I've, got, I've got a job, I work full-time or I do some work and, oh, that's great. And you're like, oh, good on you. And you're like,
1: good for you. And you're like, well, yes, how else am I supposed to support myself and be a fully functioning
0: adult in this world? Exactly right. And you go, okay, so you see guys like Dylan allcott that's amazing. Why are you then surprised that I have a job and can put clothes on and go out in public? Like I don't. <laughs> There's still that little, well, more than little disconnect, disconnects and, and misconceptions there. And um, I have also been told Hannah before that when I've done some keynote speaking and comedy and whatnot, that we couldn't afford Dylan Alcott. So you're the guy we got. Oh, wow. I'm happy to fill that gap, folks. So if anyone needs someone and Dylan's yeah. not available, give Hannah or I a call and we'll be there with bells on.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We should put a caveat on that and say both of us are friends of Dylan's and if he is listening to this, he will be finding it hilarious that both of us have been told this.
0: I have said it publicly a few times. I always like to say I'm friends with Dylan and I hope he finds it and I'm sure he does find this very funny. I have been told those words before and I'm happy to be the other guy. He's got a gold medal. I once won a B-grade MVP at the Shepherd and Wheelchair Basketball Tournament in 2011.
1: We're in the presence of greatness.
0: That's it, yeah. Oliver Hunter, originally from Aubrey, wins B-grade awards at the Shepparton Basketball Tournament. We've talked about creating your opportunity, own opportunity and you've done that through your writing and Missing Perspectives. I guess, can you tell me more about Missing Perspectives? You've already mentioned it, but just give us a bit more of an insight.
1: Missing Perspectives is basically just something that a friend created because she could see this huge gap where... Young women and girls weren't being heard. Their stories weren't being told. And if they were being told, it was like a very specific profile of a woman or girl that was getting attention. So I originally wrote a piece for her about the complications that can come with the idea of dating when you're disabled. And she had reached out to me because her mum was one of my primary school teachers So, shout out to all the teachers out there if you're listening, because if you invest time and energy into your students, you never know when it might pay off. I have to say, I wouldn't be the person that I am if it weren't for multiple people and multiple adults believing in me when I was a kid, even and especially when I didn't really believe in myself. But yeah, Missing Perspectives is basically a global newsroom. We've got contributors from over 40 countries. Readers in a 100, but kind of doing some really wonderful stuff with brands now, which is very exciting and trying to make it so that the people who wouldn't normally get a look in because they're not white, straight, cisgender, able-bodied, heterosexual men get a chance.
0: Throughout your time in your life and maybe even before Missing Perspectives or some of the other work you've done. Did you have moments in sort of the employment world of discrimination or was there a moment where you actually realised I'm going to have to create my own path because the system set up or the employment pathway is just not there for someone like me?
1: It's come down to two things. The first is like the literal accessibility barriers of many offices and places because obviously, as you will know, wheelchairs and stairs don't really mix unless you've got some good friends behind you. You can't really ask someone who's going to be like your new boss or the colleague you've just met that day to uh, haul you up a flight of stairs. (laughs) That doesn't quite work. And then also, I remember being in my first year of uni and going, okay, like I finished high school. I got through that. It's probably time to start looking for a part-time job because I'd like to have the independence of earning a bit of money for myself. And I went to several disability employment services, like they specialize in it. Their reaction was basically that I couldn't be at university and having a job at the same time.
0: I've had that happen too with a employment provider.
1: The insinuation is that, like, there's no possible way that I could handle it.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure if it's like a funding thing with the programs the government provide. I rolled into a provider and they said, Oh, no, we can't help you because you are a student. Like I want fifteen hours, like twenty hours a week job, fifteen hours a week job just to get help with while I'm home for summer. And they're like, Yeah, we don't do that. I'm like, what do you mean?
1: Isn't that what you're here for?
0: Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't understand that. And I think for me, I had those moments too where realizing, say, the last five years. I guess when I was younger in mid teens that there was a time where I obviously Understood that I had a disability, but I didn't want to work in a space that dealt with it or acknowledged it. Yeah, I wanted a normal job.
1: Yeah, definitely. You didn't want your whole life to be disability, everything.
0: Kind of similar to you and the path you've taken is that I've leaned into it because I've gone. Well, there are so many people out there that can't advocate for themselves or don't want to, and I'm happy and willing to get up on in the public eye with stand-up comedy or other aspects. And also, I don't like normal. So I like the cool like the comedy gigs, and unlike you, I'm not famous yet, but we're working on it. Who knows?
1: We are working on it. Maybe one day we'll be a travelling duo doing a show somewhere.
0: Yes, that's it. But speaking of famous and uh, profile, you got a bit of profile. I first saw you on the project. You were interviewed on the project. Can you tell everyone why you were on the project?
1: So I was on the project because... For the past almost two years, which is insane, I have been campaigning for Disney to create a disabled Disney princess because I'm a firm believer in the idea that if you start representation at the childhood level, that will make it easier for everybody as people get older, not only for the disabled people who will finally see themselves in something and see themselves having fun, having adventures, making friends, maybe even falling in love, all of those kind of things. But it'll make it so much easier for the able-bodied kids who will then grow into adults to be allies and to use that character as a tool of, like, empathy and tolerance. So, yeah, that's what I was in the project for. But we haven't had any luck, I guess, engaging with Disney specifically yet, which is kind of frustrating. And I guess I won't really know if it's worked maybe until I – go to a cinema and see a movie about a disabled Disney princess and I go, oh, there, there she is. I guess I was maybe partially
0: responsible for that. Well, I would like to think when that finally happens that you will be a strong consult. I hope so. Maybe you'll star in the role, Hannah. Oscars could be on the horizon. I would love that very much. And you're writing, you could, maybe you need to present them. Here's an idea just off the cuff. We're doing it. It's happening right now. I'm going to America next month for a little holiday. I'm going to Disneyland. Oh. We've got a month. We're putting it on us, but we've got a month. (laughs) Let's write a script and I'll present it to Disney at Disneyland. I would love to see you give the
1: script to Mickey Mouse. I can see it now. There'll be a viral video happening.
0: Maybe with your writing skills and all your talents, we should start working on an idea and script. And then we could present it to Disney. Shout out if you're listening, Dylan. Get on board. Yes, Dylan. So yeah, that's an idea. And if anyone listening has any ideas, we've already talked about creating your own opportunity and path. Well, maybe we need to write the movie. We've done what we should have done.
1: By the way, I did just want to clarify for anyone listening, like they're going, why so hyper-focused on like a Disney princess and being specific like that? The point of that is the Disney princesses, the characters probably most, I guess, Ubiquitous or like memorable with the Disney brand, but they're also the ones that get the toys and the books and the merchandise and the birthday parties, and they show up everywhere. So it's very strategic on my part in wanting a character that would have like maximum possible impact.
0: Yeah, and it'd be great to see their yeah, costumes or ideas or figures out there, say so other little girls or children getting for Christmas or birthdays the merchandise of a Disney princess with a disability. So let's work on that. I know you might be able to help me out here. I know, is it Barbie? They do have some representation.
1: Yeah, they do, finally. They never did as a kid I, when I was a kid. I mean, like you, I grew up not seeing anyone who looked like me in like the movies I watched, the TV shows, the books I read, the games I played, the toys that were available on the shelf. But now we're starting to see it on Sesame Street. There's ads with disabled people involved all the time. There's movies that are being created by disabled people where the story isn't some person having their life ruined by acquiring a disability, which is very much the popular film trope. But yeah, I think we're making big progress, but we still have a long, long way to go.
0: What's next for you in that space? and the advocacy space, and you've talked about your book. Can you tell us anything about the book?
1: I can tell you a little bit. So basically it's going to be a collection of essays that explore what my life has been like growing up disabled and like some more broad social commentary on that sort of thing with a healthy dose of like essays about pop culture to kind of offset the heaviness of it. What it's like to grow up in a world that's not built for you. But yeah, I'm really, really excited to be writing that. And hopefully, if everything goes according to plan, it might even be on your shelves sometime next year.
0: Who would know? Awesome. I can't wait for that. So let's keep an ear and eye out and whatever else you can keep out for that, everyone, because it's coming. And forget this princess movie. It could be a Hannah Deviney biopic. Who would play you in a movie, Hannah? Who would be your go to
1: see i feel like it would have to be a disabled actress that we don't know of yet okay there has to be someone out there i wouldn't want an able-bodied person playing me because i feel like i have issues with that so i feel like there's some undiscovered actress or maybe heck they haven't even been born yet like let's
0: forecast
1: well into the future who will just kind of eventually blow us all away and be like a real darling of hollywood if you like
0: Yeah, that's a great point, too, because you hope that work like what you do already will have that lasting effect on the future. And then there could be a young girl out there or someone's not even born yet that in however many years, they will start acting or performing because they believe they can, hopefully as a result of some of the work and the work you do. I guess this, in disability, we do talk about inspiration and inspiring people. Yes. Sometimes in the, a lot in the negative. And we've talked about doing the basics things like getting jobs and going out and that being shocking or I've been told so, so many times, oh, it's inspiring that you're here or you've come to uni.
1: Yeah. And you're just like walking down the street or whatever.
0: Yeah. I'm just buying cheesels and culls. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, all right. I just want to buy some. Chase all sudden so no, by me buying Chasels is another story, but can you just leave me alone a little bit? What's inspired you throughout your life to do to sort of be where you are now and do the work that you continue to do?
1: Seeing that disability advocacy is possible for one, has obviously been hugely inspiring. And I know we mentioned Dylan before and we have we're joking around like the work that he's done in carving out a space for disabled people, the work that Kurt Fernley does, the work that Carly Finlay does, the work that Stella Young did when she was still around. There's so many people who have come before us who never really got the recognition and now we are finally starting to like reap the rewards of that. Definitely I think there's a lot of unsung heroes in terms of disability advocacy and there's probably names I don't even know in history I'm not aware of that like I should be because there are probably people who worked really hard to pave the path that I now get to wheel on. In terms of finding people inspiring outside of that, I'm constantly fascinated by different people and their stories. And I'm really lucky to have grown up in a family where I was never told I couldn't do anything. Or if I was, it was always in a way that wasn't negative. I remember once my mom had to sit me down and tell me that I was probably never going to do the 100-meter sprint in the Olympics, but that was okay because she wasn't either.
0: Yes, I love that. You're not going to be a pole vaulter, but neither were a lot of other people.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's okay.
0: Yeah, I had a very similar upbringing. My parents were just as supportive, probably forced me to do things I didn't want to do just purely out of the participation. Get involved and, you know, I laugh about it.
1: And now I'm at the stage where I go, thank God my parents forced me to do that.
0: You did mention before teachers and adults that you have helped shaped you. And if you don't want to give any names, that's okay. But if you'd like, who were they? And were there any particular moments or do you have any memories of where they had some breakthrough moments for you with these adults that you've mentioned, whether that be teachers or...
1: Pretty much every teacher who taught me in primary school in particular was really good at seeing what I was good at and making sure to nurture that, to balance out against that growing frustration at all of the things I couldn't do. For instance, like when some of my teachers would see that I was really good at writing, they would encourage me to go home and write stories or they would enter me in writing competitions or they'd say, well, how about instead of going and doing this physical activity, which is going to be Awful for you, you can like write instead. Not in an exclusionary way, but just in a, your body is going to hate you for putting it through this. So just focus on what you're good at. When I was a younger kid, I used to love performing. So like, there'd be drama troupe, that kind of thing. Just people who never really let my lack of belief in myself get in my way. Like, they always told me that they thought I could do great things and big things and that I'd be one day building a life that the version of me back then wouldn't believe in. And as much as I couldn't see that they would be right at the time, they were. And I'm in the process of experiencing that part of my life now where I go, oh my goodness, I've done so many cool things that I wish I could scoop up all the younger versions of myself, turn them around and say, look what was coming. It's going to be okay.
0: I often have those thoughts as well because a lot of that similar things has worked out for me now and you go, if I could go back to my 14, 15-year-old self, even 20-year-old self, so I'm now 27, so seven years ago, if I could go back there, like, you know, I love my uni life and I had a great time as we've already touched on, but even as like a 20-year-old at uni, there were some battles about employment and about in relationship and living life. So yeah, even if I could go back to that 20 year old now and go, it's gonna be all right, mate. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be hard, but you're gonna be right. In terms of people that have, outside my parents and siblings, I always think of, um, there was a few, couple of primary school teachers. It's funny how it's primary school. It starts like you've already touched on. It starts early, starts young. Yeah. And if you're a primary school teacher out there, especially with a kid with a disability in your class, you could have a lasting impact on them, like you've touched on, Hannah. But I always think of one, one two teachers, really. But first one is Miss Asmussen, Miss A. She was just a brilliant teacher for anyone. I feel like anyone that was taught by her would say the same thing. She was an amazing teacher. All Real focused on art. I've still got a clay fish that we made. So we made these clay fish.
1: I still have, have all my primary school artworks as well, actually. It's Sitting here in my room behind me. That's
0: great. We added two. So that's now gonna be seventeen years old. That there's a clay fish that's I made when I was ten years old. And the other teacher was my grade three teacher, same school year before, mm-hmm. Mrs. Truan. I had her for grade two and three. I guess there wasn't anything they consciously did.
1: Or well, that you recognized as conscious back then. Yes. They probably knew what they were doing, but you didn't.
0: Yeah, they're very smart women that knew what they were up to. But I uh, know both of them at different times when I was at school. I used to ride my tricycle. I had a tricycle that I rode at school and they'd, um, I'd have to strap my... Oh,
1: wow. I'm just getting a really cute visual of you right now. I had a bike too when I was a kid. But did yours have like those giant wheels on the back? It basically meant that you like could not fall off the bike unless somebody like physically grabbed it and tipped
0: you over. My wheels were pretty standard. I probably would have benefited from wheels that were bigger and I couldn't fall off because I fell off a bunch of times. But I used to ride to school and then we figured out with my parents as well, we figured out how to tow my chair. Oh, wow. So I had a basket on the back. You would So then I would pull off all the things that you could take off my chair, so the cushion and the foot plates. I would ride to school and then I would get to school and I, there was a, like a little alcove at the front of my classroom so that I could park the bike in. And then my teacher, or teachers, Mrs. Sean and Miss A, in different throughout different years, they would help me on and off the bike each morning. Oh, That's the sort of things, at that time, you go, there are those little things that have an effect on you. And I mean, Miss, both of them, especially Miss A, she loved her times tables. As well as some disability lasting stuff, I can also, I know all my times tables memorized because she would stand in front of the class with a ruler, like a drill sergeant in the army. And yell
1: at it Yeah.
0: Yell at us until we like Yeah. And we got to know our times tables out of fear. So thanks, Miss A, if you're out there anywhere.
1: And I don't know, but my teachers would always do like rapid fire ones. So we'd just be sitting there in a break from something and they'd go, Hey Hannah, what's like five times seven? And you'd be like, Uh thirty-five.
0: Yeah, it is thirty-five, yep.
1: Yeah. You just have to do it like quick smart, I guess. Just always be on guard, ready to go.
0: And I think I was quite proud in the end because my primary school teachers are all different, especially later on, year four, like four, five, and six. I had a couple of different teachers say to the class, be like Oliver. He knows them all. Like That's what you've got to do. And so I was like, yeah.
1: And you're like, thank God I'm not standing out for my disability. I'm standing out for my timetable skills.
0: Yeah, yeah, my mathematic ability. 12's always got me. 12 times tables always <laughs> got me. I don't know, everything else, 5's, all over 5's, but 12's. Everyone knew 12 times 12, 144. <laughs> I think I did well with 6's because that was AFL football. The goal was 6 points. So, watch a lot of footy, so you would know the scores.
1: What team do you support, Oliver?
0: I'm a Richmond fan.
1: Of course you are.
0: Have enjoyed life the last few years.
1: I suppose there's worse you could have said.
0: Do you follow any sport, Hannah? We've we've talked about, we've been a bit anti-sport this podcast.
1: Yes, I do. I follow sport. I am a diehard Sydney Swans supporter. And I loved watching rugby league as a kid. Loved watching rugby union. Would happily watch tennis and cricket with my grandpa and golf and all of those kind of things. So I'm very good at watching sport. Just not so great at like... Hand eye coordination involved playing of sport.
0: Did you do any sport as a kid growing up? Did you attempt anything?
1: People would have those carnivals or camps where you go with like a bunch of other disabled kids and do stuff. So I did maybe like a couple of those and I tried like wheelchair racing for a little while, but it turns out it's really hard to do that when your legs don't bend.
0: I guess I can imagine.
1: You can't sit in the specific racing chair. That kind of put an end to that. But I think I'm just really into like being fit and healthy. So I love going to the gym. I love swimming in the summer. I I love doing all of that kind of thing just to keep myself strong.
0: As soon as you stop moving, for anyone, able-bodied, disability, whatever, but especially CP and disability, as soon as you stop moving, for me, my muscles are already tight. So if I stop exercising and swimming's really good for me because I outstretched out of the seated position. But, yeah, as soon as you stopped any of that, yeah, your body really starts to feel it. So, yeah, I can definitely echo the thoughts there with keeping as fit and healthy as possible. But I guess we're nearly finished, Hannah. Again, thanks so much for coming on. My last question to you would be what's next for Hannah?
1: It's just continuing to do the stuff that I'm doing, growing my profile if I can, continuing to write for cool places. I can't tell you what it is, but you will be seeing me in a new place at the end of the year. So keep your eyes peeled for that one. I have a feeling there'll be some other big conversations to come from it. I'm just really excited with everything I'm doing and I wake up every day and can't really believe that this is what I'm doing. So it's all great.
0: I think that's a great place to finish, Hannah. Appreciate the time. Go find You're on social media, Instagram. You're very active. Go find Hannah on all the things. She's out there doing stuff. Check out Missing Perspectives. Thanks again, Hannah. No worries. You've been listening to Extraordinary, a podcast where we have an honest chat and a good laugh about what it's like to live with a disability. This podcast is brought to you by Independence Australia, Independence Australia is a social enterprise providing choices and services to people living with a disability. To find out more about what we do, visit independenceaustralia.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Extraordinary, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Oliver Hunter and we'll be back next episode with another Extraordinary Conversation.